It is possible to be thankful every moment, every day. It, it takes practice and humility. It takes vision and civility. It takes practice and humility. It takes vision and civility. Hi, and welcome to Tell Me What Happened, the podcast that features real people talking about real events from their childhood and how those events impacted their lives. I'm your host, Jay Rehack. And I love listening to stories from people's childhoods, which also help me understand who those people are. Tell Me What Happened is sponsored by Sidelining Publishing, publishers of quality books, including Susan Salador's children's book, I've Got Peace in My Fingers, available worldwide wherever quality books are sold. Tell Me What Happened is also sponsored by LaughSaver.com. Visit LaughSaver.com and record your laughter. We'll save it for you, now and forever. It's free, and it's easy to use. That's LaughSaver.com. So today I'd like to introduce to you a friend of mine, a man I've known for about 35 years, one of the most creative men I've ever met in my life. He's a production designer out in uh, California, works on TV and movies, etc. But more than anything relative to his job is just the fact that every time I talk to him, there's just a creativity and an energy that I, I envy. So I'd like to welcome to my show, our show, Tell Me What Happened, Stuart Blatt. Stuart's out in Pasadena right now, and we're doing this via Zoom. So welcome, Stuart. Thank you, Jay. Welcome, welcome to you. <laughs> well, Stuart, tell me what happened. Uh, are you ready to tell your story? I guess so. I, guess, I, th- I think I'm as ready as I'll ever be. All right, you know what I'm going to do, Stuart? I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let you tell your story. Then afterwards, I'm going to ask you one question, and that's going to be, how is that, whatever you're telling me, how has that impacted your life? But I will not interrupt you if I can, if I can help it. So microphone is yours. All right. Well, it all started years ago. I guess everything started years ago. My, I'm from the Philadelphia area, and my grandparents owned a farm that was a summer camp where they lived in North Wales, Pennsylvania. And it was 137 acres and it was my kingdom. I was the first grandchild and I was very close to my grandparents and my mom was raised there. And my mom was not so in love with the country having been raised there as an only child for a while until her siblings were born But for me, it was always very captivating. And I loved being there with my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. And I loved exploring and I loved walking through the woods and I loved spending every bit of time I could out there. And we also happened to live on the property when I was very young. So it was very near and dear to my heart. And my mom had three siblings. They all were born and raised there. And my mom's youngest sister, Rosie, was everything to me. She was my world, and I was her play toy. I think she was probably 12 or so when I was born. And so I was, you know, this new puppy that they got to bring home and play with. And I have fantastic memories and a lot of photographs of she and I together playing in the snow, building snowmen or building igloos or doing other adventurous things on the property. But my memories of my aunt are what I hold near and dear to me. 
because again, I think because I was the first grandchild and I was so new to her that she treated me like a, 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 a plaything and a puppy dog. And she would take me everywhere. And I have great memories of going to her high school with her when I was very young. And I really can't even place these as much as I can remember them viscerally of learning to make peanut butter cookies with she and her friends. And odd, as odd a memory as that is, whenever I see or eat a peanut butter cookie and see the three depressions of the fork tines in the top of a peanut butter cookie, a memory floods back of that day at North Penn High School in Lansdale, Pennsylvania of making peanut butter cookies with my aunt and her friends. I also have a memory of my aunt and her friends taking me to a high school football game. But I remember going to sit in the end zone on the grassy hill behind the goalpost. And I remember them bringing a bag of confetti with them. I don't think I'm, I'm not sure if I ever saw confetti in my life. And this is, I'm, I don't know if they just bought this at a party store, if they even had party stores back in, you know, 1962. But I remember now, whenever I see confetti also telling this story and launching into the idea of this memory of, I guess we threw confetti in the air at the game. I have no idea what we did, but it's a, it's a very visceral or cellular memory of my aunt. Philadelphia at that time, uh, in the early 60s, I was born in 56, but Philadelphia was a very happening city. And we, even though we lived in the suburbs and further out, my, my grandparents' farm was in the country, which has now really become the suburbs because everything's encroached upon it. Um, and the farm's been gone for years, the camp's been sold, and now it's a housing development. But Philadelphia had a very famous, and still has a very famous folk festival, the Philadelphia Folk Festival, which was one of the few across the country, along with Newport Folk Festival in Newport, Rhode Island, Philadelphia Folk Festival, and I believe in Monterey. That was a fairly famous one. And I have a very, very faint memory of my aunt taking me there, walking across the field. I don't remember who we saw. I'm sure if I were able to come up with a date that I was there, we saw amazing performers. It was the height of the, of the folk scene. It was, you know, probably 1963, 64, 65. And there were, you know, probably, you know, who knows? It could have been Dylan. It could have been Phil Oaks. could have been Joan Baez. It could have been any one of the major players in the folk scene. And I have no idea of who I saw, but I just have a vague memory of walking across the field. But again, I was able to revisit the Philadelphia Folk Festival for the second time, the first time being a very young child, about six years ago. And trying to evoke that memory of being there with her. And I wasn't able to, as great a memory as I have, this is this was, uh, just one of the millions of memories I have. And so just suffice to say that being there and seeing all the cars parked in the field and walking across the field and walking to the tents to see the different performers, you know, stirred up all these amazing emotions in me. And as, as I got older and my aunt got a little older, you know, she became everything that I wanted to be. She was a hippie and she was a folk singer, and she was an artist. And it was everything I wanted my world to be then. And I got myself a fringe buckskin jacket, and I had like a, some kind of beaver pelt fringed belt and moccasins. And I really thought myself to be this little junior hippie. I was like in the junior hippie club. And I remember going 
my aunt had moved into the city at this point and was going to the Philadelphia College of Art or the, and the Tyler School of Art, which is also associated with Temple University, part of one of the campuses of Temple. And I have a memory of going with her to her classrooms at the Tyler School of Art, which was in some wild old barn or crazy building where there's plaster casts of statues and you know anything that you could imagine being an art studio, this was there. And I have a very great but faint memory of going there with her. But I do remember going to her apartment with her other, I'm going to call them hippie folk singer friends, because to me, they were all hippies and folk singers. I don't know if any of them were folk singers, and I don't know if any of them actually were hippies, but they're all hippies at this point. And I remember a very clear memory of they had painted on their refrigerator some sort of freeform Peter Max kind of art. And I remember thinking, this is the coolest thing in the world. You could paint on your refrigerator. And, you know, being a young child, and even though my parents were in the arts, my parents happened to be both dancers, and my dad was a dancer on Broadway, we didn't live a bohemian existence. We were very suburban. Uh, My parents had a dancing school and then later became florists and, you know, was fairly mainstream in an, in a non-mainstream world. They didn't work in an office. They didn't work uh, for a factory or a corporation. But even still, my lifestyle was fairly to very mainstream, albeit I got to live in a world of arts, luckily. And my parents were very supportive of that. You know, but my aunt was different. And my aunt, you know, had this amazing energy. And she was, again, I was around her pretty much all year long because my grandparents, as I said, owned a summer camp. And my aunt was one of the counselors there when I was a very young camper. And so her energy and her enthusiasm was always around me. And she always had her guitar and she was always singing folk songs and folk music was a big part of my life because A, it was, that was the era. So if you had any life with any kind of music and and it was the sixties, folk music was there. My life was either folk music or Broadway show tunes. So those, those are the two things that really, honestly, that have shaped my life in the most complete form of who I am, why I am, what I am, and how I am, is show business, show tunes, and folk music. So, and my aunt, when she still lived with my grandparents in their big farmhouse, had a room that was the most fascinating place for me to spend time and discover it. It was really like Alice down the the rabbit hole because I'd walk into her room and it was full of her paintings and it was full of posters and it was full of books on poetry. And not that I was that, I I don't want to be so bold or, or, or even exaggerate the fact that I was inspired by poetry because of that. But there was one specific thing and also her music. And I would spend time in there with her and without her just sort of poking around, looking in drawers and looking behind whatever album was on the front of the stack. So everything about my aunt was adventurous and larger than life and exciting and a a glimpse into a world that I guess I assumed I was going to be in. And so many great memories, you know, her taking us on the train to go to Florida to visit my grandparents and her taking me to see a Beatles movie at a movie theater. But I don't have a lot of 
fully fledged memories except for almost like um, snapshots or a slideshow of memories because they were so long ago. And when I was 12 in September of 1968, my aunt and I believe four or five other friends were up in New England or maybe specifically Woodstock, New York or somewhere around there, I'm not exactly sure where. And they were all killed in a horrific car accident. And I think being so young when it happened, even though we were so close and she was my everything, I don't think I was able to really place it in a context. I don't know if I knew anybody who had died. I certainly wasn't close to anyone who had died. And I know because she was the youngest and she was this crazy energy and much loved by everyone in the family. And of course, everyone at the summer camp with friends and, and relatives from afar, it rocked the world. And, it, and it, I know it really sort of was a knife in my family's heart for a long time. And I don't really think my grandparents ever recovered, even though this was 1968 and my grandparents lived until I think the eighties. But I believe there was always a veil over everything after that. I know my mother who's 86 years old is still very, very broken up by it and is easily brought to tears if we talk about it. But my grandparents left my aunt's room exactly like it was for years. But whenever I would go to their house, which was often, I'd go into the room, which was frozen in time, and still do the same exploring. And now the exploring was probably searching for more of my aunt at this point and trying to bring back or revive more memories and keep them alive in me. And from that room, three, three or four very clear memories I have was, or still have, is a memory of a small book of poetry by Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who was uh, very famous in the beat poetry era and opened a, the City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, which is the home of all the Allen you know, Ginsberg and you know, Cassie and Jack Kerouac and everybody, everybody who was anybody in that world with the, the fringe jacket and moccasins. And my aunt's albums that were always stacked on the floor and not stacked on top of each other, but stacked one in front of the other. So they were stacks you could leaf through easily. And three of those albums are incredible visual memories for me. One is a Nina Simone album. I don't think I had any idea who Nina Simone was. One was a Fred Neal album. No idea who Fred Neal was. One was a band called Moby Grape. Had no idea who Moby Grape was. And I think there may have been a Leonard Cohen album. Now, I now, and I'm 64 years old, but for years, I've had my aunt's entire record collection and they all live in boxes in the garage. And everyone, so while I'm out there, I'll take them out and I'll look at these albums and it'll be an immediate flashback to that room. And of course, looking at those albums 
And about five years ago, weird coincidence that happened. I worked at a restaurant back in 1983 and somehow in Silver Lake, California, and somehow the owner got Nina Simone to come perform for a week. I didn't have the nerve to say anything to her about it, but it was, again, I always felt so connected. I did a TV show in San Francisco about uh, six or seven years ago, and we shot at the City Lights bookstore. And I know Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who's a much elderly man, still came in there. I believe maybe he still owned it. And I very badly wanted to go in and tell him the story of my aunt, but couldn't bring myself to do it. I don't think I, I don't think I was overcome with emotion. I think I was just scared out of my mind as to what he'd, what he'd say to me. Or I don't know. I really don't know why. But I think all these events are my aunt still letting me know that she's present in my life. And I have dreams about her every so often. And usually the dreams, it's me running into her as, well, uh, now she'd be 76 years old. It's not me running into her as a 76 year old. It's me running into her as uh, an older, older than the last time I saw her, but maybe not that much older. And I'm always at, I think I'm always asking her, where is she? And she says, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be back. I think, she, I think her answer was, I'll be back or I'm around, that kind of thing. And when our daughter Addie was born, her middle name is Rose, named after my Aunt Rosie. And she oddly looks very similar to Aunt Rosie. And we have photographs of the two of them. And if you put them side by side, they're not, not certainly not photographs together, but there's an eerie similarity uh, that everyone remarks upon. So it's um, when I embarked in the life in the arts, first pursuing acting and then now as, as a career as a production designer, I think I'm always wondering what she thinks of it, assuming that she's watching because what else would she have better to do than to watch everything I do in life and trusting that she's there, whatever there means, wherever there is, I was fortunate a few years ago to be in Philadelphia with my parents and actually got a chance. We happened to be at the cemetery where she was buried, her another funeral, but I walked over to where her tomb grave marker was and was able to stand there for a few minutes and talk to her, not about really anything specifically, I think really just to say hi and to check in, but. She is an ever-present, constant force in my life. And I don't, mean, I don't mean daily or weekly in so much that there's never a day that goes by, there's never a moment that goes by that I'm not thinking about her. But in some respects, there probably isn't because in everything I do, whether it's my creations at work, my art at work, whether it's my gardening, which is really not so much her, but her father, my grandfather, who I was very close with, my vegetable gardening. But her energy is something that I think I carry and was buoyed. I mean, my love of folk music, my love of the arts, my love of a good buckskin fringe jacket and moccasins. It's, 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 it's something that I imagine I'll carry forever. And uh, 
yeah, that's pretty much my story. I love it, man. That's very powerful. It's a beautiful story. And I'm telling you, I actually, I've known you for 35 years and you've got this, you're this ball of energy. You're this ball of creation. You're constantly drawing something or making something or making stuff happen all the time. And it sort of makes sense that, I mean, you've sort of answered my question, but how she's impacted your life, but it just feels like you're, I'll let you speak to it, but just the idea that your creativity is an, you know, it's, it's, it comes from you, but it may have some relationship to, you know, what your aunt may have, I, well, I shouldn't say nurtured you or somehow, but I, I, I'm going to get out of the way. I don't want to speak for you how, you know, how it's impacted you. Well, I, I, you know, I think, I mean, in retrospect to the idea of how she's impacted me because she left me when I was so young that I really hadn't formed myself into anything at 12 year old at 12 years of age, except for everything. Everything I do, I think is, 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 you know, I have all of her old portfolio from art school that I look at once in a while. And I have her old sketchbooks and her old, you know, and I don't know what I'll ever do with them. I will literally, I'm sure I never do anything with them. I don't have that kind of wall space to put all the artwork up. And, but I love the idea of going into the garage, opening them up and looking at them or sitting in the, in the guest room and opening up the portfolio and leafing through them all and thinking about them and, and sort of just daydreaming about it. Crazily, I'm, because I'm a very emotional person, I remember <laughs> recently, almost a year ago, I happened to be in Serbia working on a television show and I was at dinner with two guys I work with. Neither of them I'm that close with and neither of them are people that open up emotionally to me. And somehow we got in a conversation and this story of my aunt came up and brought me to hysterical tears where I couldn't compose myself in front of two people who were staring at me like they couldn't get away from me fast enough. Even though we're fairly close in work relationships, I think they must've thought I was out of my mind crazy. But, you know, this is, this is a testament to my aunt and my relationship with my aunt or my relationship with my memory of my aunt. Because again, my relationship ended, the physical relationship ended when I was 12. And interestingly enough, in the past couple of years, we've, my wife and I have had a couple um, spirit circles at our home where we've invited a medium over and other friends have come and this medium will do what mediums do, you know, talk through the spirits that are in the room when they come to visit or whatever. And I'm always hoping for some big revelation. And my wife says, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get. And you need to be open to whatever it is you're getting at that moment and stop looking for more or thinking there's going to be more or expecting there to be more. Just sit back and take in what is coming at that time. But uh, one of the weird things, and I'm not sure if, again, life imitating art, art imitating life, chicken in the road, or whatever you want to call it, is somehow at a very early age, and I need to even check the dates of this to see if I've just made up the story in my mind, is my aunt had introduced me, maybe in even just a photograph, or maybe she had the album cover, I don't know, to the music from Big Pink album 
from the band, who is probably my favorite band of all time. And I don't know if they're my favorite band of all time because of that connection with my aunt, which I'm quite sure didn't not contribute to that, or if I've made up this and romanticized this story about them because of her, but also, bizarrely odd enough, one of my other favorite bands, who happen to be from Philadelphia, is Hall & Oates. And just recently, I've heard stories from another cousin of my Aunt Rosie playing guitar with John Oates when they were both in of high school age. Whether they were in high school together or not, I'm not sure, but maybe the small Philadelphia folk scene or even the smaller folk scene out in the suburbs in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. So somehow, again, through everything, you know, my aunt circles around me and her energy, her spirit, her light, or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's something I hold very near and dear to me that there's so many facets of my life that she has either created or she has nurtured or prolonged, but it's pretty awesome. Well done. Well, thank you very much, Stuart. That was fantastic. I, I mourn for your loss. I mean, it makes me sad that you lost her, but it actually, again, I've known you for a long time and it sort of uh, informs me about who you are in the sense that all that creativity, all that sort of, you, you, you sort of take a joy in just about all the different arts. You're not just kind of a limited guy in that way. You're, you know, it's the music, it's the dance, it's the, you know, all the different things. And so who you are really comes through. And I think that I don't, I don't know what the deep, you know, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know the deeper connections, but. Nor am I. But she does live, she does, she does live within you, I'm sure. So thank you for being my guest. I really do appreciate it. Um, thank you for including my story in your, in, your, in your book. So that's our show. I'd like to thank our guest, Stuart Blatt, for that great story. I'd also like to remind our audience that Sidelining Publishing will be publishing a collection of stories from the Tell Me What Happened podcast. And we'd love to hear or read your story. For more information on how to submit your story, please contact me at J-A-Y-C-R-E-H-A-K at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Now we're going to end the show with Susan Salador's inspirational song, Every Moment, Every Day, which is available on Spotify and iTunes and just about everywhere you listen to music. So until next time, this is Jay Rehack asking you to stay safe out there and try not to hurt anybody. It is possible to be thankful every moment, every day. It, it takes practice and humility. It takes vision and civility. It takes practice and humility. It takes vision and civility. It takes beauty and the wisdom to see it every day. It takes practice and humility. It takes vision and civility. It is possible to be thankful every moment, every day. It takes practice. And humility, it takes vision and civility, it takes practice and your wisdom to see it as a ability. It takes practice and your wisdom to see it as a It takes beauty and the wisdom to see it everywhere. It is possible to be thankful every moment, every day.